Hello and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles, and as always, I am joined by Alex Collings. Hello, Alex. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good. Uh, and if you want to follow either of us on Twitter, you can find me at Alex Towles, Collings at Alex F-R-C-O, and the pod itself at Potshot Pod. Uh, and we've got a special guest on today. Uh, Abby Shek Sharma is here with us today. How are you doing, Abby? Uh, doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. And Abby is also on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter at A-B-H-I-S-H-E-K-S-H underscore nine eight. Just find it in the description. It's there. Go click that. It's a lot easier than typing while I'm reading it. Abhishek 98. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, how are you doing, Abby? You right? Yeah, man, I'm doing good. Currently, sort of, uh, had an injury, so I'm kind of like recovering, basically. But yeah, other than that, good. Fair enough. Uh, I will we'll be sure to send you off to a specialist <laughs> for that at the cost of four to five thousand uh, <laughs> pounds. Today we are going to be talking about, of course, Bournemouth nil. Arsenal 3. Three wins from three from the Gunners, which leave us top of the league. Uh, Let's not expect that to last very long. But you know what? It's fun while it's a thing. After that, we're going to have a look at some transfers with a focus on one more signing that Arsenal might make before the window slams shut next week. And then we're going to have a look ahead to the Fulham game next weekend. Uh, Let's get right into it then. Arsenal against Bournemouth. Alex, a comfortable 3-0 away win for the Gunners in the end. Uh, What were your first thoughts on the game? Um, So from a general point, uh, I think what's really nice is we can just see immediately again, just having better players makes us so much better. I mean, we can go into the tactics in a bit, but like that first goal was all like Gabi Asus being like insane. Um... It's actually one of the most insane pieces of play I've seen from an Arsenal player in years. Like, I don't think I've been wowed by a player like that since, like, Ozil when he was on top in his prime for us. Um, And then I guess not something we'll really see, but the third goal from Saliba was... I mean, it's not something I expect from him, but it was just a really good finish. Um, And yeah, just in general, I think it was a lot of it was quality showing through. I think it was a good performance. Um, I don't think Bournemouth were particularly good, um, and maybe maybe there's some there's some like I would have wanted us to be a bit more dominant in the second half, but overall really good three from three so far. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I thought it was probably our best performance of the season of all the three matches, uh, both in terms of like results and uh, also just the way we played. Uh, I do agree with Alex that, yeah, the second half could probably have been a little better. But, yeah, we'll talk about that more in depth later. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time to be an Arsenal fan, which is always always fun to think about. And I, I know this is a topic that's come up a lot, so if you're listening, this is definitely not the first time you've heard this. But this time last year, we were bottom of the league with zero points from three, and now we're top of the league with nine points from three. It's amazing the difference that a year can make, just to the atmosphere around the club, just everything. It's really nice to be an Arsenal fan right now. Uh, (laughs) So let's get into the tactical shape a little bit more. Uh, We're not going to go too in-depth on this today, because obviously we've spent 
ages talking about Arsenal's tactical shape last week. But we are going to talk about it a bit because it was a little bit different, wasn't it, Alex? Yeah, so I think one thing that was interesting, and I think possibly why Abby saw this as our best performance, is that I've been banging on about like our, our inability to really work things into the right down the rights for the past two episodes. I really think we actually did quite well in that regard. Um, there was a lot more usage down the rights and also something like, of course, that we saw was we saw Ben White overlapping, which he, uh, not not too much, but occasionally, which he wasn't doing at all beforehand. Um, I'm going to actually refer to a John McKenzie video because I really liked the way that he spoke about how we managed to do this. So obviously with our build up five, it was a bit more of a three, two this time. And what was that, that how that was used? Uh, and what we did there was to try to pin the space and try to pin Bournemouth, who are, whose shape is very narrow out of possession, try to pin them in the more central area so that we had more space to kind of play those balls out wide so we could kind of, you know, get the ball to Saka, get the ball to Ben White, also have Ben White moving forward into space. And I think that's pretty much, particularly in the, in the first half, how we gave Bournemouth so much trouble. Um... Oh, by the way, what pinning means is just basically by having our players narrow when Bournemouth's out of possession, they have to stay narrow to kind of cover our players, right? Um, yeah, I think that was the main talking points. Um, basically, just our ability to use the width. I think we moved it between one flank to the other much better. It's definitely interesting to see how we had more of a definite 3-2 shape uh, in possession this game. Uh, compared to the 2-3 shape we used beforehand with Zinchenko dropping inside even more to form that 2 alongside Party and White coming back to form that 3 alongside Saliba and Gabriel. It was it was, it was quite nice to see, uh, if only because it shows the versatility that we have now. Like, it shows that Arteta's willing to change up the shape that we use in possession based on the opposition that we're facing and what would be best to go with at the time and that we have the ability to do that now technically which i think is really cool and i'll say i think it's not even just like game to game i think i think we started off two three early on mm. um and then quickly kind of dropped to three two um but we also saw it versus leads ben white's almost in like that space between often between being like part of the back three in that build up or the second line of three so he moves between them quite well and he's really good in both areas so so it's quite nice. It's also part of why I like Ben White in that position. It'll be interesting to see if Tommy can really do the same. Um, yeah, so I think we just have a lot of flexibility there. And yeah, it looks good. I, I do just want to quickly ask if you have any thoughts on Bakaya Saka's performance in the game. Because we talked last week about how with the right-hand side feeling somewhat isolated in the first couple of games, he was kind of being left out of games at times. Uh, was he more involved this time around? Yeah, I actually thought Saka was pretty good. I saw I saw some people still annoyed that he wasn't really getting in you know, among the shots and stuff, but I thought he had a pretty good game. I think he caused them a lot of problems in terms of drawing Bournemouth players out and stuff. Um, yeah, this, this, this performance, and we'll see, we'll see how we keep it going game on game, right? But this performance gave me a lot more comfort in terms of him being able to, to affect games and come in a bit more and yeah, just have that space where you can kind of go, go at, at opposition players. So I felt pretty good about his performance. I mean, I wouldn't say he was like amazing or anything, but I think he was good. And I think, yeah, I think... 
it's also another thing like looking at I think it was like X Threat or whatever from the Leicester game where we kind of said like he was a bit out of it. Then actually you looked at those numbers and he did a lot better. So I think one of the things is we're just getting used to him being less ball dominant, mm. but he's still actually been quite effective when he's on the ball. He's just not necessarily like a solo who's going to try to get a shot off every time. Yeah. I mean, uh, the second goal was, was it the second goal? Yeah. The Odegaard goal. I think that was yeah. basically showed how Saka was being used. So he, he, he took the ball and uh, faced up to Zamura and then there was this other player. I'm not sure who that was. He basically drew out two Bournemouth players and then Ben White, he did that overlap. He doesn't usually really do it. But he picked his, picked his time and then uh, just walked, uh, made the overlap and yeah, that led to the goal. Yeah, I think that's a great example of, of just how he, he affected the game. And speaking of the goals, the first two were scored by Martin Erdegar, who I think it's fair to say had his best game of the season so far today, which is pretty easy to say when you're scoring two goals, but still, it's worth <laughs> putting out there. Erdegar in the past has been criticised for his perceived lack of final end output, uh, lack of goals, lack of assists maybe, but in getting two goals this game, he put some work in towards putting those criticisms to bed. Alex, how do you think he can continue to build on increasing his output? So personally, I've never been too worried about his goal scoring output. I think he's more of a midfielder than an attacking midfielder compared to like what people expect. So I think his goal returns actually pretty healthy. I think he reads opportunities well. What I really did like though is for that second goal, just the fact that he wanted to take that shot despite seeing Gabi Asus coming onto it. That's, that's encouraging for me because in my opinion, Odegaard is one of our like most confidence dependent players in terms of how he performs you can you can you can see when he's in his shell versus when he really wants to take the game so seeing him wanting to take shots rather than leaving it to like the striker to take the shot was really nice um and yeah i think we'll 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 see those goals from him kind of arriving late to the chaos in the box a couple of times what i'm more interested is whether we get like enough out of him creatively because that's what that's where I really want to see Odegaard improve because he has that ability like you can see he's really good at reading play early um and he has really good passing I think one thing I'll say about his passing is that he has to be comfortable from the angles that he passes at like it's very easy for him to receive and not be comfortable to pass from a certain angle which is interesting because he's such a technical player but sometimes he'll receive and he'll want to take three or four touches before he plays that pass and then other thing is his passes look really good, but I don't think they're always actually that accurate. Like sometimes in transition, he doesn't thread those balls through. I want to say though that he has the ability to do so. It's just something he needs to improve on and he's still, what, 24 years old? Um, but that's really one where I want to see us get something more out of him in terms of his creative output rather than his goal scoring. I'm very happy with that. I don't know. I'm probably going to disagree just a little bit. I think he gets into good scoring positions. And in general, I think our offense is basically, uh, it's dependent a lot upon how well he gets into those positions in the right house space. Uh, I would like to see him shoot more. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I wanted him to do more based upon his performance last season. And it was an encouraging sign that he took on that second shot, even though Jesus was sort of preparing himself for the shot. And I, I really do 
want to see him shoot more when he gets into certain positions, not like just take pot shots from from like forty yards out or something like that. Even though that's not something he does anyway. Uh, and yeah, regarding what Alex said about uh, his touches and the number of touches he takes to sort of set himself up, I think that is very interesting because he is really a technical player. But you often see him. So what he would like, he likes to receive the ball on the right half space and sort of like take a touch in field so that he can face the field and uh, face the full field and then uh, pick his pass or either a switch or, or a combination play on the inside. And what you'd often see him is that if he's receiving direct, if it's like a pass at an acute angle, if he's receiving it straight into his body, then yeah, he takes quite a bit of touches to set himself up. And uh, I think, yeah, in general, that's just one of his tendencies. I'm not sure if it's really something... You know, a player can improve on, uh, especially at this stage. But yeah, yeah. So in terms of in terms of his shot taking, I think last season was maybe at least part of it was he wasn't getting into these positions as we saw him versus versus um, Bournemouth. I don't really think he, he ever will be able to improve like the comfort with which he receives from those angles. Unfortunately, um, which is also why I think the way we design when we want to give him the ball. He's really good at those quick layoffs and quick one-touches um, when he's facing play or with his body open to the field, right? As you were saying. But I think the way we've designed it in Arteta, I do think he's probably one of them, like, there's an argument that he could be the most important player from the team from a tactical point of view, right? Um, in, in, in possession, for sure. So I think we've made a lot of compromises to be able to get the, extract the most from him in those situations. I do think he can improve with his passing, though. Maybe it's just me being op- optimistic and stuff, because his passing always looks really good, which is why I think it's fooled me in the past, being like, this is a really good passer. But if you look at the success of some of those things, he often like over hits it and stuff. So maybe I'm just being a bit too optimistic because it looks nice. But I do think we can get more out of him there. And from that, we can get better creative output. So that's where that's where I hope we get more in an individual basis. But I do think we'll get more goal threats because of the system now. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree about the thing about the passing. I mean, he, it's, it's sort of something that I, I think I've noticed as well, especially in transition moments. He sort of hits this pass where it goes outside towards the field. And that just, is, let's say, Saka or Martinelli here. They're making a run down the line, then they sort of have to stop or at least uh, deaccelerate, and that sort of, sort of maybe just a fraction of a second, but it just puts up the attack for that long. It's funny, right? Because I mean, those are exactly the moments where where I'm thinking of where I'm always like, ah, he nearly got it, but like it was a good pass, and then I think this happens a lot. Like it's probably, you know, it looks nice, but it's probably not actually that good a pass. So I think I get fooled by that as well as the fact that there are. There are passes and angles available to him where he's genuinely very good. Like when he takes that touch in from that deeper half space and plays it into the box, he's one of the best passes in terms of that. But he's an interesting player because he obviously has that quality, but he's also he's always like fickle about the angles that he needs to receive to be able to be really good from that. Yeah, yeah, no. Um. So. So we talked a lot about how we can like improve on. We we talked a lot about how we can get the most out of Erdegaard by perhaps changing the way that we play the ball into him. But 
the way that things are already, he's already arguably the most important player that we have tactically to our attack, in that, like, a lot of our attacking play does flow through him already. Um, so, do you think that there... Mm, mm. I'm trying to come up with a question, Alex, based on your second we, point on Odegaard, and I don't we, know if you we, we kind of yeah we kind of covered it. Yeah, that's fine. Just I will skip it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one thing that is a little bit more concerning about the Bournemouth performance, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, is that we did drop off again in the second half. Uh, and I think Alex and I jinxed this somewhat in last week's pod when we were like, oh yeah, we carried on the whole way through against Leicester. That means that we'll never drop off in the second half ever again. We've fixed it. It's fine. <laughs> Next game, nope. Going to drop off in the second half and just kind of bring our foot off the gas pedal. But I don't know if I think that's an issue this game. Like, obviously, being having that ruthlessness and that ability to really put teams to the sword is a positive point. But when we've got so many games coming up over the course of this season, especially before the World Cup, as we try to cram in as much football as possible, I don't think it's too bad if we're perhaps saving our energy by taking the foot off the pedal a little bit when the game is already won. Yeah, no, uh, so that is interesting to me. Uh... Because I'm not exactly sure if Arsenal are doing this intentionally or unintentionally. And I've seen this in, I think it was in the Crystal Palace match as well. And it's in the, and to some degrees in the Leicester City match as well, where they basically allowed Leicester to get in the game with a couple goals. And then in the Bournemouth match as well. Uh, so the thing is, I can sort of see both sides. I think it is an issue. It is a, it's, it is a concern. Uh, but I also think that in this situation, particularly in this match uh, against Bournemouth, it did not. It wasn't that much of an issue, but it might be down the line. Uh, why I think it wasn't an issue against Bournemouth was that so they had this really strong period of from forty-five to uh, I don't know exactly when they scored the goal. I think it was the fifty-eighth minute uh, when Arsenal when Saliba scored his third goal. But uh, they had, but Bournemouth had this really strong period then, and uh, they scored. Or, uh, they they got into our penalty area. They were putting crosses in the box. They were getting touches off in our box, and then so at that point I was just starting to get a little concerned. Are Arsenal are they getting back in their shell? But then we got the third goal, and that just wrapped up the game basically. So. So that's why I think it wasn't a concern here because we already were 2-0 up. But it might be an issue if it is not intentional. And I have a couple, I don't know, I mean, I have a couple theories why this might be happening. I think it might be maybe, uh, like you said, the press is uh, a little bit too intense. So in the first half or let's say in the first 15 to 20 minutes, uh, which might, you sort of obviously can't play the game at the, at that higher tempo for the entire 90 minutes. Uh, I also think that there is a sample sample size issue here. We've only just seen three matches. And maybe this is something uh, you just it's just going to be here. I mean, I'm still not sure that I am ready to, uh, ready to say that this is going to happen for all the matches in which we take a lead. In general, I think one of the things I would like to see from Arteta's team, from Arteta's Arsenal this season, is that 
uh, I want them to sort of control matches when we do go into a lead. And uh, you could basically do that uh, either if you're in possession or out of possession, obviously. So in possession, I guess you could just uh, you could just tone down the degree of your incisiveness. So just play passes, the passes that you're more probable to complete, the easier passes, and just sort of circulate ball around so that you're controlling the match. And uh, I think, yeah, the off-ball thing is more important. I'm not sure if our, if this Arsenal side right now are that good at steering teams into certain in, in the places where they want to have the ball, where they want them to have the ball, basically. Uh, I still see that, uh, let's say, Arsenal defending for, let's say, five minutes or so, and then suddenly uh, they can easily cut through our midfield with one single pass, and that's it, they're into the box and they have got a shot away. So I would like to see some improvement on that. Uh, but yeah, if they can, if th- if that's something they can improve on, basically direct where the opposition are getting the ball in, then yeah, that would be good because that would mean that if we get a lead early on in the match, then we can see the match through, basically. Just to touch on your thing, Abi, like I agree with it being a sample size for this season, but for me at least, it's been an issue that we've had since last season, like... If you remember, obviously now the periods are longer and more dominant, which is nice. But if you remember, we, we used to have that thing where we'd be like 25 minutes of an amazing spell and then suddenly like, what happens for the rest of the game? Why are we dropping off? Um, yeah. I like your theory about like intensity. I think not only just in terms of energy used, but Arteta is very, very demanding on like shape. And I think concentration can fall off a little bit when you've scored and stuff. Because I think when we see when, when it's a tense game, like our shape holds really, really well. Um, but yeah, I know, of course, sample size issue, but just to look at like how we've been in the first half compared to the second half. And I'm using something from Yash at Audrey Zolite. Um, yeah, on Twitter, she's great. But in terms of XG created in the first half and second half so far this season, of course, this is a complete sample size thing. So don't kill me, but like 3.77 first half, 3.63 second half. So that's not a problem, right? I'm going to get onto why I think. We those numbers are similar later. XG conceded in the first half of the season, 0.94. Second half, 2.17. So that's a huge difference. Um, we create less threats, about 0.7 less threats in the, in the second half compared to the first half. Um, we concede about 1.1 threat more. Um, we conceded, we've conceded 19 shots in the second half. The season four in the first half, um, PPDA goes up. So how many passes we allow before pressing actions. Um, and then also the opponent PPDA, first half 22, second half nine. So that's interesting. And then their builder percentage, our builder percentage drops about 8% in the, from the first half to the second and theirs goes up about 4%. So I do think there are a lot of numbers showing that why I think I think as well as the energy thing, it's it's tactical. I think Arteta wants us dropping off a little bit. That doesn't necessarily mean he wants us to go defensive, but maybe he wants us to soak pressure so we can hit them on the break. Why I think that is, because I think we are a very good counter-attacking team in terms of not counter-attacking with like too many numbers. We usually just counter-attack with five, but the way we space and stagger our attacks means that we basically have a very good counter-attack without being over-committal. And I think Arteta loves that idea of like once you're in the lead, kind of just hitting them with these low-risk counters that we're actually very good at. 
but it, it's still like it's obviously not working too much if you look at how much more we're conceding yeah. so it's it's a hard one it's a hard one to wear up i know obviously the season we'll see how it goes but but it is it is something that has concerned me for like over a year now and we've got better at it or like we've been dominant for longer but i've never got that sense that like we don't drop off which is probably my biggest concern yeah i think the biggest issue with it is less one of intensity and more one of control like it's better it there's no issue with after taking a lead as we have done in every game this season taking your foot off the gas a little bit uh, and kind of conserving energy so long as you're still maintaining control of the game and the game flow and not letting the opposition come back on top and become more dominant in the game and I think that's where we're struggling I, I think for all the Chelsea-ness uh, it's something that Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea are really good at like in possession, they are obscenely good at having control and just stifling the opposition's chances of doing anything with the ball. Uh, they can't attack, so we got that over them. <laughs> but I, I think that's one thing that we might be able to learn from Tuchel's Chelsea. I was about to say, well, I have to hold my hands up and say, what a goal for an attacker this season. Yeah. But no. <laughs> no, they, they, they can't attack for the life of them. But I think there is perhaps something to be learned there from the way that they can... St- Strangle the life out of games in a way mm. that we just can't right now. I think I mean obviously City on another level, but they're they're obviously what we what we are aiming to be, right? Mm. And the way they can break up games is also just completely different. Like they can slow games com- down completely. They also remain really dangerous, and I, kind of like as Abby was touching on about keeping possession in the areas that we want to. That is like low low risk, but then being able to pick those moments and accelerate when when we feel. Well, when the team feels like they're in a good shape with a nice, like, rest defense behind um, and pick those moments, that's something City are really good at. They'll start off a game, they'll, like, run two, three goals. Then the second half, they'll just be killing you. And then suddenly, bam, 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 and it's the fourth goal. Mm. That's kind of what we we need to be aiming to. And I don't think we, we're there. It's obviously City, but I, I don't think we're there yet as far as we should be. So do you, do you guys think it's, a, like, a structural thing or is it just a personal thing? that's that's where i really like this is my question like i don't know because i think structurally we're good maybe it's a still an attitude or awakeness thing i'm not completely sure but i think there must be something in the structure that's that's stopping us from doing it because like while i agree like personal and stuff and especially last season i used to be like the players are like young and they're dropping more they're dropping deeper than arteta actually wanted them to i think you'll remember like when we started going on that like winning run after that awful start last season, but it was like, it was a winning run, but it wasn't like a, like dominating teams. It was like getting past each team. Like we were, we were dropping off. I was, I, I always interpreted that as being like the players are a bit nervous. They're like, they're a newer team put together. And we obviously don't see it nearly to that extent this season. Um, maybe a little bit, but I do think that there is like a, some sort of tactical instruction that is like stopping us from doing that. Maybe I tend to just, wants to to hit that next level maybe the new system that we have now needs to find familiarity maybe it is maybe this team is not the team that is from last season and we we, we are dealing with a sample size issue so yeah i i think it's a more of a squad issue but not like in terms of the players we have on the pitch more of a squad depth issue 
Like, like we started the season with the same starting eleven three games in a row for a reason, right? Like, as much as I love uh, Emil Smith Rowe and Moanani, they're not Thomas Partey and Martinelli. Uh, we need those players that we can rotate in and not drop off in quality. Uh, and I think that might help us maintain control later in games when legs are starting to flag, when we're looking a little bit more tired, being able to swap players out that are of the same quality or even game to game, give, be able to give players a rest for a match week instead of having to play the same 11 over and over again because those are, without a doubt, our best guys. Uh, I think once we get to that level of strength in depth, that might help us a lot with this control issue. Yeah. Uh, I agree in part, but I think teams with similar drop-offs in quality don't don't have these problems that we do. Drop-off in quality from first team to their bench. I mean, obviously, guys like City, they can bring on whoever, and it's just, it's as good as the guy coming off. But there are teams that have those drop-offs in quality, maybe Spurs or so, who don't have these problems that we tend to. So I do still think there's something more to it, even if that is probably something that contributes. But yeah, I guess we'll just have to see how it goes. Like... You know what I mean? It's a long season. Maybe this is maybe I'm I'm picking up on stuff that that really isn't an issue an issue anymore. Maybe it is a sample size issue, or maybe it could really be a thing. Like Alex said, I did see it in in parts in last season as well. Uh, I was thinking if you know early subs make sense in that regard. Uh, I guess if if this is a thing which is unintentional, basically there's a sort of like they're getting gassed by the 68th or 65th minute, and then. If it makes sense to bring on subs and uh, see that we can still control the opposition's pos- uh, possession game, and or if we can control our own possession game, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I get that a hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's just about everything we have to say on the Arsenal against Bournemouth game. So we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a second to discuss the remaining period of the transfer window, alongside looking back at some of the transfers we've made in recent history. Okay, so uh, we're now going to talk a little bit about some transfers, but before we get into the transfers that are yet to come in this window, we're going to have a look back on some of the transfers in years before, because Alex has been looking at Twitter and saw something viral that he thought would be fun. Yeah, honestly, this is just a a place for me to do this, because I felt like I wanted to do it, so you guys (laughs) have to humor me, um, (laughs) and all the listeners too, but it's that... That thing that we've been seeing going around, I think an Everton person started it off, or maybe a United like person. Oh, I, I think it was started it, on Sky Sports by Gary Neville. I think it was MNF oh. or something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was where it was that green, amber, red judgment of all the signings from whatever point. They were like just two players in green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I think they were weird. wrong. I now, I now remember that it, it did start with like Gary Neville or, or Carrigo or someone, right? Basically, what I wanted to do is. Post Wenger, just looking at all our signings and kind of like hitting them with a green and amber or a red. We're going to try and move through this relatively quickly. So I think if we agree, um, we'll kind of just be like, cool, cool, and move on. And maybe there'll be an interesting discussion for one or two. There are 22 players. So apologies to Danny Ceballos and Dennis Suarez, two not particularly great Spanish midfielders that we've had. But because they were loan signings, I thought, let's just, let's just leave them because I think part of 
the green, amber, red thing is it's more interesting when you think about it in terms of outlay and like committing to that player long term. Whereas Dennis Suarez, I wouldn't even say it's bad. Like you took a gamble on someone short term to see if they get help. Suarez, yeah. amber, Ceballos, red, done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, just just to be clear, we are going to go through every signing that Arsenal has made since Arsene Wenger retired. Uh, oh, except for except for the summer, obviously. Yeah. So we're going to start off with that eighteen nineteen window, first window for Emery back in the day. So Lucas Torreira. Let's start off with Abby. Green, amber, or or red? Uh, I don't. Know. I think this is harsh, but I put him in as red. Okay, yeah, it's a it's a very reluctant red for me as well. See, this is this is why I think I'm gonna be like the annoying contrarian here. But I try to take like the way I try to take this is I wanted to kind of look at it from like a at the time. Obviously, it hasn't worked out at all. But at the time, I thought it was a good transfer. I'm kind of like indecided between it being. I think it's probably. Let me say, I would be a bit too lenient to give it a green. I think it ended up being a yellow because there were problems in terms of adapt ability that we didn't really anticipate but I also think he wasn't a bad player for us at all even if the outcome has been poor yeah so here's the thing I have done all of these with the power of hindsight uh because <laughs> I don't see like I, I, I think I can't remember the exact quote from Tiago Estevez but it's something along the lines of always judge transfers in the context of the time they were made uh, and I don't think that's anywhere near the fun of this game so I'm doing it with the power of hindsight uh, fuck you <laughs> um, I actually mixed both right. of your approaches really mm. I first thought I would do it like based on the things why we made the transfer at that time mm. but then I realised you know this thing is biased enough already by our hindsight and everything, so... Thought, yeah. yeah you know, like, if I was it. doing this based on at the time, Torreira would have got a green. I was so excited to sign her man, and it just didn't work. <laughs> I was also... I was there saying, oh, this is the mythical DM, and he's like four foot nine. Yeah. You know, basically what United fans are going through with Lissandra at the moment. Um, <laughs> Alright, let's move on, let's move on. So I think it's a... I'm very tempted to say green, but I think it is an amber, and I was just getting excited. Alright, all for me and a red for you guys. Bernd Leno. Let's start with Alex. Green. He was a solid starting goalkeeper for like two years. What more can you ask for? Amber for me. For me, I gave green, so I'm interested to hear why you, why you gave amber. I think that, you know... If you look back, uh, I mean, at that time, it made a lot of sense. But even from the beginning, there were some issues uh, regarding his passing and everything. So I think, like, even even back in that time, I knew that this was sort of like a stopgap goalkeeper. And his shortstopping was great. And he made those couple saves in the, the double save versus Tottenham. And those things uh, sort of changed player perception a lot. But I think there were some issues with his passing right from the beginning, and I thought, yeah, you know, this is he is going to probably change at some point of the season later. You know what? Though I think he was also expensive. I think he was about twenty million, wasn't he? Which is expensive for a keeper. Um, so I think from a like an opportunity cost point of view, I kind of actually do see where Abby's coming from because we could have signed someone else who could have been better. Weirdly, I don't know if I need to go back and watch like that first season, but I thought he was pretty good on the ball, not long range passing, but mid to short range, and then that just disappeared, like evaporated from his second season onwards. I think that was only because before that we were we were used to check 
yeah yeah <laughs> perhaps it's all about it's all about relative to to um expectations this next one i think it's going to be very obvious but socrates let's go back to abby red yeah yeah <laughs> it red, it's red. that was that was an awful one at the time um yeah thank god we thank god we we don't do that anymore all right this one could be interesting matteo ganduzzi amber uh, green at the time, amber with the power of hindsight. Uh, I disagree. So I, I'm a big, I'm I'm a big on green here. I think he was a great signing. I think there are reasons that it didn't pay out, but we also only paid seven million for him, and it's our fault. It's our fault that we didn't get more from more money for him. So, so I'm 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 green. Uh, Abby, why do you think amber? Uh, actually, you know what? I'll revise my thing. You, the thing you said about the price, yeah, that makes sense. Green, maybe. Uh, I think it's the only reason he's in amber for me with the power of hindsight. Like, it is that he should be our starting six right now, and the fact that he's not makes him amber. That's fair. You know what? He'd actually be pretty good in that role. Um, so that makes me sad. I'm still a big Gwendoosie lover. Mm, same. Let's go to another pretty obvious one, I hope. Stefan Lichsteiner. Right. As red as the Swiss flag. <laughs> yeah I didn't even I didn't like the move at all at the time not even on a short base thing. no I don't, I don't think anyone looked at us signing Stefan Lichsteiner on a three and went yeah that's good transfer business from us no side. you know what lots of people did they were like this guy's gonna be our like right back for the year and he's really good and he's a winner and I was like he's also kind of crap but yeah anyways that, that sort of confused me at the moment uh, that time it confused me people were like okay he could be a good mentor to Bellerin that was the general idea at that time but it didn't make sense to me either anyways I'm just really happy he's gone uh, <laughs> <laughs> shall we move on to the 1920 season Yes. This one, Nico Pepe. Let's go right from the the record signing, and I'm gonna go back to Abby. Uh, Amber. Oof, interesting. To quote me from the first episode of this podcast, we spent seventy five million pounds on that man. It's red. <laughs> so yeah, it's red for me too because of how much we spent on him. I only say Amber because he's still our player. And you never know what could happen. So yeah. yeah, basically, we haven't seen his entire trajectory, like the other players. That that is the only reason for me. Uh, I I, yeah, I think that's I'd agree with you if we'd spent one third of the price on him. Unfortunately, we spent seventy five million pounds on a guy who came in was fine, and then now and and now three years down the line, when he should be in our prime, is our backup right winger, arguably even third choice right winger. I mean, no. I don't think he's even really a choice, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is what it is. I think for me, he's a strong red because we paid about double the price for him. Um, Let's move on. William Saliba. And I'll go to Alex. It's green. Green. It's green. green. Yeah, green for me too. Yeah. Okay, like, cool. Best center Everyone's back in the world. Saliba no? hype now. <laughs> I think let's move um, Kieran Tierney. Green. Green, but I was thinking of Amber, but yeah, green. Okay, that's interesting. Any any big reasons? Injuries, really. I mean, we, the time we signed him, he was injured. We There were concerns about his injury history. He still is injured, like practically, I don't know, 30-40% of the entire season. So other than that, he's pretty much green for me. Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, for me, he still stays green, but I actually didn't consider that, especially when I'm trying to take this whole, like, better approach of thinking of the things at the time. Um, 
Yeah, that is definitely a flag against him. We're gonna speed it up a little bit now, because Tiles has just told me that I need to. <laughs> I need to stop indulging myself. Alright, David Luiz. For me, he's a green. Amber. Amber. Oof. Alright. I will be quicker with the other ones, but why Amber? Uh, Hugh was a decent player for two years, but I think after we signed Socrates, we should not have signed him. We should not have signed another old centre-back. Kind as of much agree, as he was better. Was, it was like a last-ditch sort of thing. He was, in my opinion, really good for us. And yeah, I think he was also just good for the squad. But but fair enough. I'll I'll accept it. Um, I'm 2-1. to one. All right. <laughs> Gabriel Martinelli. Pretty Green. obvious. Green. Green. Yeah. Thank God we don't have Kieran on this podcast. <laughs> okay. Pablo Amari. Amber. Red. Yeah, I'm Amber or Red. I'm not really sure because I kind of backed the deal at the time, but I don't really... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, know, I never saw it, actually. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm in between, um, but I think probably Red is the right decision. We I spent quite a lot for fine. Like whenever he's, he's played, fine, he's fine. That's exactly fine. it, though. But he's they, fine. They, like, but Am- Amber is the ranking for fine. Red is. Oh bad. no 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 no! <laughs> I mean, I think I think I mean he's like fine as a player. Like he could probably play Premier League football regularly. Yeah. I don't mean he's like fine as an Arsenal player. I think at the time we needed another left-footed centre-back. He was fine. We needed a left-footed centre-back. I don't think we had one, so that's why we went in for him. I'm mostly just thinking of that that match versus Chelsea. I don't know if it was the whole match versus Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. basically got bullied by... Yeah. yeah. Fair. Okay, let's let's go for actually. Let's keep moving. Cedric Suarez. Amber again. Amber. Green. At Fair the enough. time, at the time, in context, in context, at the time, came on a free... His wages aren't as ridiculous as people suggest, and it looks bad after the fact because then AMN's, Ainsley Maitland-Niles suddenly said, oh no, now I want to stay. But like at the time, he was like, he wanted to leave, and we kind of needed a backup when we had like priorities in like eight other areas of the squad at that time. So I'm going to stick I'm gonna stick by that and say I think it was a good signing, even though it hasn't worked out that well. I think he's been surprisingly good for a guy that wasn't starting at Southampton but at the time we signed him. Yeah. Okay, let's go to 2021. Um, Gabriel? Green. Green. Green for me too. I think he's a good signing. Um, Martin Odegaard kind of came halfway through the season, but I'll drop him in for this one um, because we signed him afterwards. So it's basically when his career started. Green for me? Definitely green. Red. JK is green. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of red, Alex Runasen? Yeah. Red. Red. <laughs> that was an awful sign. He was like the worst goalkeeper in Ligue 1. And we said, you know what? We see what Chelsea are doing with Kepa. We want one of our own. And Except then... we didn't spend like a billion pounds on him, so it's infinitely yeah, yeah, well, that's only because we couldn't. You know, we didn't have the <laughs> yeah. money at the time. We needed to get in a crap goalkeeper who's supposedly good with his feet. Mm. Um, we never we never saw him along, long enough to actually know that for sure. William? Red. 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 I was I was a defender of the deal at the time, but it is red. I think he got two assists against Fulham in his first game, and then didn't contribute for like six months. I really hmm. like that we were bringing in someone technical and with a drive. Like a lot of ways, William really suits what Arteta wants in his yeah. team. Problem for me, why the I... The problem is he was washed. I think he was... Okay, you know what? <laughs> but he, he he did turn out to be washed. I think 
for me, the big reason why it wasn't we spent so much money on his wages and we, we really got like, we got helped out by him wanting to terminate his contract. These last five, um, don't really feel that worth doing because they're still only one season into their careers. Yeah, like, it feels weird ranking, especially Sambi and Tavares. Like, they've been amber at the moment, but they could still turn out to be great Arsenal players. Well, let's actually just kind of cover it. Does anyone think... I mean, Tavares, for me, is 100% a green. We're going to make a profit on that guy, and we, we spent $7 million on him. He obviously mm. has had some clangers on the pitch. He's also had some good moments. Um, I think Abby's giving me a look, so I don't know if he... Amber for me. <laughs> oh. Okay, okay. Mm. Yeah, he's amber for the so, minute. He could be green. He needs to come back and be right. a really good Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. I feel like I was one of the most critical guys of him last season, and here I'm giving him green. Okay, <laughs> Sambi for me. We actually did spend a fair bit on him. I still think he will be a green. I think he is a green. I think he's a good mm. player. But I do think the level, the jump up last season was a lot for him. So we'll yeah. see. Based on, like, the negative minutes that we've seen from him so far, it's got to be Amber. You've got to be playing football yeah. to get a green after one year. I put him in that's as Amber, fair. just because I don't see him breaking into the level. That's fair, that's fair. Um, Aaron Ramsdale? Um, Amber at the time, green now. I put him, I still have him as Amber because, and I, I like him, we just spend a lot on him, and yeah. it's more, it's like a, how much could we have done with that money? I kind of Ben White always really not sure between Green and Amber too, but I think I'm just trying to be a bit contrarian there. Like I still think Ben White we have we had Saliba, we had like other areas in the squad. So Yeah. Green on the player, Amber on the price. So yeah, thank you for, for humoring me. Just before we move on to Fulham, we are going to quickly talk about Pedro Neto. Pedro Neto, he's a footballer. I wasn't that hot on him, but everyone seems to be, so he must be pretty good. I don't think, like, I'm blown away by the rumour, but I do like it. I I do like him as a player. I think he comes in and he really fits what our wide, how we use our wide forwards, but he also adds different things. Like, I think the way he dribbles inside, I think his ability to take shots... Is really good. Like he he adds different elements that will help us change games, but we can also start him and be like, he's he can do the same thing as what Martinelli's doing. And we can play him on both flanks. These are a lot of things that we've kind of seen like over and over being being like a pattern of what we've looked for. So he really does tick the boxes. Um and it, it just depends. I mean, it sounds like we're gonna get him for a lot less than like the sixty million that people were sort of floating about. Sixty million, I wouldn't even think about it. I don't think he's mm. I don't think he's worth it. I yes. think he might just become a 60 million winger. Like, that's the best that I could probably see him becoming. So mm. I don't want to pay 60 million for him to become that. And obviously, injuries, like, you you want to be a little bit hesitant. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been a fan of the player. Um, so if, if we get him around 40, I'd be, be very happy. I think he will easily be a 40 million winger. I think 35 was the number I saw today. Yeah, I, I think the most wild thing about the Pedro Neto deal is the fact that forty million is about average for a rotation quality winger on a top six side, and we're looking at that and thinking, yeah, that's decent money. Like that—that's that, the thing that jumps out at me. Like, wow, like prices have sure gone up. The the idea is that he could become a starting quality like yeah. winger. You know what I mean? Like Arteta wants to build a sort of team where, like, if you look at City, like no one's really guaranteed a place, and there's this hunger to like fight. So, like, he's not telling Pedro you're going to be backup. You could be the starter if you earn it sort of thing. 
I think tactically also it makes a lot of sense because you talked about his ability to cut inside and shoot. Basically, he's left-footed. So that's directly like Saka. But the thing is, with Saka, you see that he's, he likes to cut inside as well. But it's more like to combine, create, or, or he's less he's hesitant to shoot that much. I think that that sort of uh, it's, it might be balanced by Pedro Neto. So actually... Like the other thing about him is that he's he is quite two footed. I think he's got good shooting off both feet, um, from everything I've watched of him. So even off the left, like we have someone who can cut in, like Martinelli can cut in inside the box and get those shots off. I know he scored that goal against Leicester, but he's not someone that has that great striking tech to really score many from outside the box, which I think is probably fair to say about most of our players. So he, just having someone who actually can do that adds a big thing. I mean, has Saka ever really scored many goals outside the box? None that really you think he cut in and bam, top instead. It's usually just on the edge of the box. I think one of the concerns with Pedro Neto is just that I'm not so sold on his passing, basically. Uh, he's good. He's a good ball carrier. He's a good dribbler, especially during transitions for Wolves. But I'm not sure if his passing is uh, the level that you would want uh, for an Arsenal player. Well, I guess we'll have to see. I think seeing how much... Arteta's worked with Martinelli's passing. Yeah. And Neto definitely has that ball striking ability that that's kind of what Nelly passes are like now. They're just really well struck. <laughs> like he doesn't have that short, quick passing game really still. So I think we could work around it. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing to consider. I hadn't actually really thought about that yet. Okay, so moving on, before we end off the podcast, we're going to take a real quick look ahead at the Fulham game that we have coming up this weekend. Uh, and this isn't something that I thought I'd say at the start of the season, but you could argue that this game will be our toughest test of the season so far. Uh, Abby, do you have many thoughts on Fulham? Uh, I watched them against Liverpool, and they look very well organised. Um, I mean, going against a side like Liverpool and then getting away with the result that you did it was very impressive. Um, it, it, yeah, yeah. So to me, it looks like I'll give just go and quickly. They basically defend in a four-four-two. Uh, they have Mitrovic and Andreas Pereira. You might remember him from Manchester United days. Um, they, they, those two other players up front, and their four-four-two is sort of like very compact. And they're very aggressive. They're very physical. I remember those uh, certain situations against Liverpool where basically they were trying to build out from the back and they just would not let them. Uh, they were like constantly... Uh, Tete was constantly on uh, Luis Diaz and then uh, Paulinha was constantly... He was marking aggressively man-marking Thiago. Uh, it looks like they are very aggressive and it would be a big physical test for Arsenal. It should be a, yeah, I do think it is going to be a difficult one for us. Yeah, um, so I've only watched a bit of them, but I mean, I've always been a Marco Silva fan. They look, they've got five points from three games and that's pretty impressive, especially when one of the games is versus Liverpool. They look well organized. They've also got Mitrovic, who's going to be a, a nice physical test. Um, for our back line, um, I think Gabriel could handle it well or could struggle a bit. We'll, we'll see. So I guess I don't really know. Um, 
But yeah, I, I wouldn't say it'd be our toughest test. I still think Palace away is a big match, and I think we did really well there. Um, but I think, yeah, it could be the big... It probably is going to be the biggest one after that, because Leicester were crap. Yeah. <laughs> Bournemouth look like they're going to be the team that ends last. Um, so, so yeah, I'm worried. I'm a bit worried about them, but... But yeah, it, I'm I'm excited for it. I think we're like well placed, but it'll be they're going to be a tough team. And I think they're going to be looks like they're going to be good over the season. Yeah, just, it's just the momentum they're carrying. I think from the first three matches. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. They're they're, they're going to be good. Like I, I I think in terms of their defensive organization, it might be the hardest team to break down that we've faced so far. Because like whereas Palace have uh, a little bit more going forward than Fulham do, arguably. Uh, and I, so I think that's where the difficulty in the game will come. Uh, but I think we've got the players to do it. I think, as you said, Alex, if we can beat Palace away, we can beat Fulham away. So hopefully it should be all right. Before we wrap up the pod, do you have any score predictions for next weekend? Uh, Abby, do you have, (laughs) how do you think it's going to go? I don't really like making predictions. Um, keep it conservative. I don't know, do one. Yeah, I'm also like not a predictions guy, but I, I I've 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 accepted that this is gonna happen every week. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I love like, Yeah, so so I was also thinking to one that was what I had in my head going into the thing. It's like the safest thing you could say. Yeah. I'm gonna be yeah. less boring and go with three one. <laughs> oh, well, let's see if you can be right for the first time this season. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot should depend upon who who gets the first goal. Really, I think if we get a good first goal, then. That should help us a lot. Because they will yeah. be... Like, if you don't get a goal inside, let's say, the first 45 minutes, then they're going to be difficult to break down. They, they are a good side. Uh, defensively good side. So yeah. Uh, and that's just about all we have time for on this week's Pot Shop podcast. We don't have time this week for recording any non-Arsenal stuff or non-football stuff, which is just the way that things happen. Sometimes life happens and you need to run away from real podcast recording responsibilities for a week. That's fine. We'll double up next week to make Alex happy. Absolutely. And if you want to catch that next week, make sure you follow us on your favourite podcast platform or on Twitter at PotShotPod. Thanks to Abby for coming on today. His Twitter can be found in the description alongside the Spotify link for James Blake, who makes all the music for our podcasts. Thanks to Alex for being smarter than me. Thanks to you for listening. And we will see you next week alongside some very special guests to discuss Manchester United. See you then.